0: today's part two we're in isaiah chapter nine i'm going to begin reading from verses six and seven follow along with me as i read isaiah writes for unto us a child is born And unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are such an amazing, wonderful, mighty, incredible God who has made himself knowable to people like us. And God, I pray today that in this time that we spend in the Word, that we would see Jesus and that our hearts would be encouraged and stirred And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Outside the United Nations building in New York City is this very famous statue by a Russian artist. The statue is of a a strong man with a hammer who is beating a sword into a plow. And across the street from the United Nations building is... The explanation of the statue. It's actually a Bible verse that comes from Isaiah chapter 2 that says this, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift up sword, or nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. In the United Nations was founded right after World War Two. And their stated goal was to bring about world peace. It's a wonderful goal to have. But let's be honest. They failed miserably. Because since the United Nations was founded, there has not been a single year of peace anywhere on planet Earth. True, it's a great goal. But no one has been able to pull it off. No one. Not the United Nations Not any kingdom, not any king, in any era of human history, no one has been able to bring about world peace. It's an impossible task, but it is going to happen one day when he who is the Prince of Peace shows up on the scene and then there will be peace on earth at last. That's the title of our message Today. Now, Isaiah chapter nine is one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. And this passage gets quoted a lot around Christmas time because it mentions the child being born. And so it finds its way on Christmas cards and in Christmas sermons. But when Isaiah wrote this, he wrote it about a hundred years before the Babylonian captivity, where Israel became captives to Babylon, and about 600 years before the birth of Christ. And Isaiah in this passage is looking past his own lifetime past Bethlehem, although there are overtures of it in verse 6, but Isaiah is looking past the first coming of the Messiah, past the cross, and past the resurrection, and he's looking into the future when the Messiah is going to show up and reign as a monarch on planet Earth. You know, today, if you mention a king, or a kingdom, or a monarch to Americans, it doesn't sit very well with us. I mean, think about it. We're this nation that was founded by rebelling against the king of England. That's how how we became, you know, this nation. And, you know, in Texas, they're always talking about succeeding from the union and the governor of Florida, he's, you know, talking about raising up his own army of volunteers to help the National Guard. And here in, you know, California, we tried to oust our governor and unfortunately that failed, but, you know, Um, that's what everybody wanted it seemed right rebellion against authority is deep in the roots of our nation but the kingdom of jesus is going to be different and we're going to love it and he's going to bring about a lasting peace unlike the world has ever known before because it's going to involve or revolve around a right ruler who comes on the scene at the right time. And today I want us to consider three things about this coming ruler. I want us first of all to note that he is a remarkable king. Secondly, we want to talk about his royal character. And then finally, how he sets up a righteous kingdom kingdom first of all he's a remarkable king and look back at verse six and notice that the king that is predicted there are three things that are said of him number one his humanity is mentioned unto us a child is born number two his deity is alluded to where it says unto us a son is given and number three his sovereignty is stated the government will be upon his shoulders let's take take each one of them First, his humanity is mentioned. Unto us, a child is born. Guys, that's Christmas. That's the nativity. That's what we're celebrating at this time of the year. The, the son of God, Jesus, being born into the world. But something else is mentioned here about this remarkable king. Not only is his humanity mentioned, but notice it also says, unto us, a son is given. And I want you to catch this. It doesn't say unto us a child is born and unto us a son is born. It says, no, unto us a son is given. And what we see here is his deity is being alluded to there. There's a suggestion in that phrase of his preexistence or what we might call his preexistent deity. Let me make this clear. That before he was born as a child, Jesus already existed as God. As the second person of the Trinity, of the triune Godhead, of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when the child was born, that's when the Son was given. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now try to wrap your minds around this. Jesus is the only person who ever existed before he was even conceived. No wonder Paul wrote to his protege Timothy these words, Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. What this means is that Jesus never became God. Jesus was God before he was even born, and he remained God after he became human, which begs the question, how does God get born? How does God fit into a womb? How does God get placed in a placenta filled with amniotic fluid? And there's only one answer to that. It's called the virgin birth. It's the only way that God could possibly be born. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Isaiah the prophet predicted that 600 years before Jesus was even born. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. It's never happened and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A virgin birth. A woman who had never ever had relations with a man would give birth, and so Jesus would be biologically connected to Mary, but he would not be biologically connected to Joseph. So he's fully divine, but he's also fully human. And because he is that mixture, he can relate to us. You see, as a human, he knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to suffer. He knew as a human what it was like to even die. So unto us a child is born. That's his humanity. But unto us a son is given. That's his deity. And then we see a description of his sovereignty when it says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Note that. Note that it's future tense. The government shall be shall be upon his shoulder. And in that sentence, Isaiah is looking with a prophetic lens into the future. He's looking past Christmas. He's looking beyond the cross. He's looking beyond the resurrection into the kingdom when the government of the world is going to rest upon the shoulders of Jesus. And by that, by, by the way, that word government here is Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. And the Hebrew word for government here is the word Mizra. And it literally means the rule of a monarch. And I really like this for this fact that Jesus, when he comes, he's going to rule as a monarch. But what does it mean when it says, and the government will be upon his shoulder, Well, in ancient times, governance was considered the burden that was borne on the shoulder of the monarch. They understood it that way, that this was the burden that they carried, that the responsibility and the weight of the kingdom was going to be put upon them. And so they shouldered that and it was symbolized by the robe that they would wear. You've seen it before where, you know, it gets attached around their neck and it hangs upon their shoulder. And it was symbolic of the fact that they are, are agreeing to carry the weight, to shoulder the load of the kingdom. What's interesting about Jesus is Jesus took off his royal robes when he left heaven and he came to this earth and he chose to live and walk among us as a man. Fully God, but his glory concealed in his humanity. And so he's walking among us as a human being. I love the story of the king who two times a year He would take off his royal robes and disguise himself to look like a peasant. And he would go and wander around his kingdom. And it would drive his security team, you know, just berserk. It would drive them crazy because they'd say, this is not safe. And this was his response. He says, I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. Jesus did the same thing for us. He took off his royal robes. He put on flesh. He's born as a baby, not in the best hospital, but, but in a manger. He lives in poverty and he walks among us and he knows the struggles that we go through so that Jesus could not just be a remarkable king, but he's a kingly high priest. Listen to what the writer of the book of Hebrews said. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it the most. So he is, first of all, a remarkable king. But now let's consider, secondly, his royal character. Here in our text, the Isaiah mentions, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when Isaiah gives these names, it doesn't mean that he was actually called by these names. It doesn't mean that, that, you know, Mary was like, Wonderful counselor, come here, you know, or mighty God, what are you doing? No, no, no. What this is really telling us is it's a descriptive characteristics of what his reign is going to look like. Consider the first one, wonderful counselor. Literally in Hebrew, it's put this way, he will be a wonder of a counselor. In other words, his wisdom as a counselor transcends all human wisdom. Well, let's be honest. Anybody can give counsel, right? But it's not always good counsel. How many of you have got some bad counsel re- recently, right? And here's the problem. Oftentimes, counsel is, is given to us and it's based on the, you know, values of the person that's giving it or how they're feeling or their emotions or what they're going through. And so it's, it's easy to get bad counsel. But the counsel of Jesus is always perfect. In fact, Remember when Jesus was on the earth and he came to his hometown of Nazareth? It says that the people marveled at the way that he spoke. They were like, man, that was good. That was good what he said. He's a wonderful counselor. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's amazing. Imagine, imagine if Jesus opened up a counseling office down the street from your house and you went to go see him. And you walk in and there's no forms to fill out because he already knows everything about you. And you start in. Jesus, I just got to tell you, you know, this past week, my boss, oh, and he interrupts you. And he says, you know, you don't need to go on any further. I saw what your boss did to you. I saw or I heard how he spoke to you. And, and quite frankly, your boss is a jerk. Now, now Jesus probably wouldn't say that. He probably wouldn't say that your boss is a jerk. He'd probably say, you know what? this he's He acts that way because of this but he would understand everything about us. In fact, in John chapter 7, Jesus was in the temple speaking, and the religious leaders said afterwards, they said, no one's ever spoke like this. Who is this guy? No one has ever spoke in his council. It will always be wonderful. And you know why there's never been peace on earth? Is because we've never really had any kings or politicians that have really consistently sought after God. Back in the book of, of Judges, it says of the nation of Israel that everyone did what was right in their eye, their own eyes, and that's really you know how we are as a people. But every now and then, somebody comes along that that has a sense of of a priority of seeking after God. In fact, President Abraham Lincoln was that type of person. Not perfect, but. He said this, amid the greatest difficulties of my administration, when I could not see any other resort, I would place my whole reliance on God, knowing that all would go well and that he would decide for the rights. And there were times during his administration where things were just too tough. And he would seek God and he would open up the Bible and he would pray. And with God's guidance, President Lincoln brought a measure of peace and an end to the civil war. George Washington was another, our first president. He said this, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. But it's not just for kings, it's for all of us. That's why we're told in Proverbs chapter 3 that we are to acknowledge him in all our ways. And the idea of acknowledging him is actually to seek his heart. It's not just to say, Lord, I'm just letting you know what I'm doing. But it's to seek his heart. And then here's the promise. You acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. And you know why else we should seek him? Not just because he's a wonderful counselor but he's also the mighty God. You see, he does what no human counselor can do. Not only does he give us wisdom, but he gives us the strength and the power as the mighty God for us to be able to carry out what he's asking us to do. He supplies the strength for what needs to be done. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. And then Isaiah says, and he's the everlasting father or the eternal father, as some of your translations might say. Literally, he, it's saying that He is the Father of eternity. And the idea behind this is that He is the originator or He is the source of all that is eternal. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. Something I want you to notice. Jesus is given the title Everlasting Father, but don't misunderstand what that means. Isaiah is not saying, You are God the Father, because he's not God the Father. He's God the Son. He's different from God the Father. We call this the Trinity, or the triune Godhead. As I said before, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's three persons who make up one God. Now I point that out because in the early church, there was a false teaching that that went out that was called modelism. And modelism taught that God was actually one person who would manifest himself in three persons, kind of like putting on different hats, that one day he might be the father, another day he might be the son, and another day he might be the Holy Spirit. Guys, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches is that there is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons who are one. And so when Isaiah says that Jesus will be called the everlasting Father, he's not saying that he is God the Father. No, he's separate from the Father. But what this is, it's really a description of what his reign is going to be like. That he is going to reign like a father would a good father, not a despot, not a dictator, not like an elected official, but he is going to reign with a paternal reign, a fatherly reign, a reign that is going to be marked by being caring and compassionate. And so this is one of the great reasons why there why there will be peace on earth is because of the character of the ruler, that he will be a wonderful counselor, that his strength is impeccable, that he is the mighty, all-powerful God, and he will rule like a good, good father. So his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this brings us to our third point today as we consider his righteous kingdom. You see the Messiah's kingdom will be a kingdom in which there is no conflicts. There will finally be peace on earth. Peace on earth at last. It will be a kingdom of peace. Now you recall on the very first Christmas morning when the angels appeared to the shepherds out in the fields, and the angelic messenger said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And some of us might say, boy, that, that angel really missed it on that one, right? Because 2,000 years have gone by and there has not been peace on earth. But know this, it's coming, church. It's coming. Can I get an amen? It's coming. When Jesus, the Prince of Peace, shows up. But here's what's interesting about that message from that angelic messenger. The actual translation of the angelic message is this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people on whom God's favor rests. That's a completely different meaning. Or it can also be translated in this way. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to the people with whom God is well pleased. You see, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brought the opportunity for mankind, all of mankind, to experience peace with God. Pastor Aaron talked about this last week. You see, when a person gives their life to Jesus, when they embrace what Jesus did for them, they experience peace with God. The war is over. We go from being God's enemies to becoming his friends to becoming his children. And we have peace with God. And so there's nothing any longer that's between you and heaven. You're declared righteous. Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore being justified. That means declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one. When a person embraces Jesus, they experience peace with God. Sins forgiven, guilt removed, and they're brought into this relationship with God. And then that opens up the door for us to experience the peace of God. What Paul the Apostle wrote about in Philippians chapter four when he said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And here's the, the clincher through christ jesus it's connected to your relationship with jesus that you can experience the peace of god in situations where you know that 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 you don't understand in the midst of turmoil So Jesus comes in his first coming and makes a way for us to experience the peace with God and to experience the peace of God. And one day he's going to come back to planet Earth and we will experience, in fact, the world will experience peace from God, worldwide peace. And that happens when the Prince of Peace comes and sets up his kingdom. Look at verse 7 again. It says, And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forth or forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I love that last line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The idea is the Lord of hosts is going to get this done. He will do what no one else has ever been able to do. And he describes in this one verse the ever-expanding dynastic rule of Jesus over the world. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be, he says, no end. No end. It's eternal. It's eternal. It keeps on going. It's not four years and like, good job, but now you're out. Or, or four years and now we're going to vote you in for another four. And then you're, but, but then it's over. No, this is perpetual. It's eternal. It's forever. And it keeps on expanding. And Jesus is going to rule the world from the city of Jerusalem and Israel. And the city of Jerusalem, its name means the city of peace. But it's never, ever lived up to its name. But one day, it will. And according to Isaiah chapter 2, when that happens, war will cease. The weapons of war will be turned into farm equipment. Military forces will be abolished. I mean, doesn't that sound amazing? In fact, I want you to try for a moment to imagine a world without any war. Imagine a world where there's perfect peace. Imagine a world where there's no need for homeland security and there's no need for TSA checks and there's no need for, for iron shields. Imagine a world that doesn't have any missile testing because there's no missiles to test. Imagine a world where all of the politicians are saints. That's a hard one to imagine, right? (laughs) Imagine a world where everything is always fair. There's no army. There's no navy. There's no air force. There's no police force. And now imagine a world where everyone is so healthy. It's not because they're gluten, you know, (laughs) gluten-free. Everyone is, it's not because they're vegan. Everybody is so healthy that when somebody dies at 100, it's like, boy, he he died young. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where the animal world is tamed. Today, you know, we want to see animals. We go to the zoo, but we have to see the animals from a distance behind an enclosure. But according to Isaiah chapter 11, let me read this to you, verse 6 and verse 8. It says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now, that's not normal. Wolves usually eat lambs. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. How incredible is that going to be? Like my grandson Josiah going, hey, what are you doing, Josiah? I'm going out to play with the lion. I'm going out to play with Simba, you know? And uh, I mean, how incredible would that be, Right? I'm going to go play with my my friend my pet the lion and then he says and the nursing child shall play in the cobra's hole and the wean child shall put his hand in the viper's den so the animal kingdom is tamed and the earth itself is going to be pristine and lush listen to isaiah chapter 35 Isaiah talks about this time he says even the wilderness will rejoice in those days the desert will become as green as mountains of Lebanon springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the desert that means places like Palm Springs and places like Phoenix and Barstow and Death Valley are going to look like the English countryside you might want to buy some property there right now you know get ready for that because it's kind it's going to be a premium at that particular time and one day we are not going to have to imagine any of that because it's going to come true and it happens it's called the kingdom age It's called the millennial kingdom or the thousand year reign of Christ when Jesus comes back to this earth and we come back with him and there's no Satan because he's bound and there's no demons because they're bound. It's just Jesus, the Prince of Peace, reigning in perfect peace. Can I get an amen to that? That's what's coming. But as we close today... I want to close by asking you a question. You see, we all know that, that one day the government will be upon his shoulders, the shoulders of Jesus. He's going to rule over it all. But here's the question. Is the government of your life on his shoulders right now? Is he your king? Is he the one that is ruling in your life? Have you turned your life over to him? You see, at his second coming, Jesus came and he put, he will put the government, he will come and put the government of the world upon his shoulders. But at his first coming, he came and you know what he put upon his shoulders? A cross. That he bore for you and I. In fact, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 puts it this way. He says, and the punishment for our peace so we could experience peace was placed upon him. Jesus came the first time. The baby that we celebrate at Christmas time, the baby was born to die. He was born to go to a cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could experience peace with God, so that we can experience the peace of God. But that only happens when you embrace Jesus as your Prince of Peace as you embrace Jesus as your Savior, as you admit, hey, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and maybe you're here today and you are far from God, or maybe you're here today and you've walked away from Jesus, or maybe you're here today and you've never, ever given your life to Christ. Jesus invites you today to experience his peace. In fact, in Ephesians chapter Two verse 14 it tells us that Jesus came as our peace but he came not just to give us peace but he came to literally be our peace and peace starts with knowing Jesus embracing him making Jesus the king of your life If you haven't done that, you can do that today and experience peace with God and that opens the door for you to experience the peace of God and then you will be ready to be a part of when Jesus comes back and we experience peace from God when the Prince of Peace sets up his rule and reign on this earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope that we have, that we can look forward to that day when you return and you set up your kingdom that is going to be like anything that this world has ever experienced before. And Lord, we look forward to that. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have right now to be able to know you and to walk with you and live in relationship with you to experience your peace even now in the midst of difficult situations and circumstances. And I pray for anybody here in this room who, who doesn't know that peace because they don't know you or they've walked away from you or they haven't opened up their heart to you. God, I pray that right now in this moment or anybody that is watching this online, that right now in this moment that they would make that decision to say yes to Jesus. So with our head bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, or you've walked away from Christ, you don't have that relationship with him, that right now you would just say this prayer after me to make Jesus your king. Say, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I need a savior. I admit that I've walked away from you. I've been doing my own thing. And I'm asking you today to forgive me and to cleanse me, to come into my life, to come into my heart and make it your home, to be my peace, to be my king. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you as we wrap up today, there's going to be folks up front here. Come up and get with one of them and say, I I prayed with the pastor today. I prayed with Pastor Rob today. Or if you're watching online, you can put in the chat and someone will reach out to you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with the Lord, whether it's the first time or you're making a recommitment of your life to Jesus. it's, It's really, really important. Make that public today by coming in, letting these folks know.